Hello and welcome to Critical Line Item. My name's Tom Rabbit. Thank you for joining me for this podcast. Police and security agencies have various powers in Australia and there's been a recent proposal to increase what um, organisations that are involved in law enforcement and intelligence gathering are able to do in terms of investigating people even as young as 14. One of the challenges with any anything like this is we don't always fully understand where the new powers fit in because not everybody understands what police forces and other organisations are able to do. Now, Barrister Greg Barnes joins me today to talk about these issues. Greg's been uh, involved in criminal law for a great many years and he's also the spokesperson on a range of issues for the Australian Lawyers Alliance. Greg, thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Tom. Now, before we go into what the current proposals mean for anyone that's being investigated or being um, held uh, by law enforcement agencies, can we lay out the, the, the basics of what police are able to do? Because that's some really important us to understand? Well, if we're talking, and and we're talking, I think, about what ASIO is able to do and and AFP, if we keep it at that level, um, they certainly have powers of detention, both those organisations. They currently have uh, powers to question individuals and detain those individuals for the purpose of questioning and detain them for a number of days. They are uh, subject to some court scrutiny in terms of the requirement to get warrants and to extend time for questioning. And there are um, limits on the way in which, the the amount of time they can hold a person without charge. But they've also got powers of surveillance. And uh, so any new legal proposals or any proposals that come about in draft legislation to these days are tending to build on existing powers or perhaps take those existing powers in new directions. Would you argue that ASIO and the AFP currently have sufficient power in their arsenal, in their legislative arsenal, to do what needs to be done without an extension? Well, I would. Uh, Since 9-11, there have been around 80 pieces of anti-terror legislation passed by the Commonwealth Parliament, most of which have resulted in an increase in power for ASIO and the AFP. ASIO has enormous powers um, to surveil, uh, to track the movements of individuals, to question individuals, um, and, of course, they operate under a veil of secrecy uh, because that's the nature of their work. But the powers that they have are extensive and it's hard to see why ASIO would need the new powers that are being proposed by the government. What would these new what would these new powers mean? There's been a bit of discussion about them over the past little while. Are you able to clarify for the audience what precisely they would do? We've already said that ASIO and the AFP have extensive powers. ASIO in particular has a lot of power. 
what would this amendment add to their arsenal, if I can put it that so way? The, yeah, so the, the proposed laws would enable the following. Firstly, um, AGO would be able to use tracking devices on individuals and they would not have to get uh, a warrant from a court. They could simply get permission from a superior officer and they could get it uh, without uh, having to file any paperwork if it's urgent. Uh, in fact, uh, they don't then have to file the paperwork for up to 48 hours. Secondly, they will have the power to remove lawyers from the interview room where you've got persons detained and being questioned if they think that the lawyer is being unnecessarily obstructive. They will have the power to appoint a particular lawyer to a person if that person does not have a lawyer. And they will be able to interview children as young as 14 in a detention setting. There's also a proposal, separate proposal, to allow intelligence gathering from US companies such as Facebook, Google, uh, Twitter, um, of the data of Australians such as journalists whistle and whistleblowers. So these are um, extensive broadening. This, this, this all amounts to an extensive broadening of existing powers, but it's insidious in the sense that the interference in the lawyer-client relationship is highly dangerous. Um, the capacity to place tracking devices in people's cars or in their bags uh, or at their home, uh, sorry, not at their home, but uh, in their cars or in their bags or um, any other uh, implement um, without having to get a warrant is dangerous. And the idea that uh, uh, ASIO should be able to go to Google and Facebook and other US companies to seek the data of Australians is again um, being done because the government is obsessed with the idea of journalists having to disclose their sources of information and particularly to seek to close down whistleblowers. If we can, can I break down a couple of those, but, but just to expand on them, Greg, um, in terms of tracking devices, that can sound rather um, daunting to people when they first hear it. What are we talking about there precisely? So um, as I understand the proposed law, there's no particular uh, technology that's preferred. But what we're talking about, for example, is putting a tracking device into someone's bag so that uh, ASIO can track um, wherever that person is going um, uh, by, via their bag. Or they can track their movements by putting a tracking device in their car. So it's essentially enabling ASIO to keep 24-7 tabs on individuals as to where they're going. Now, um, uh, this tracking device would be used in circumstances, no doubt, where, for example, a person turned off their phone, uh, as, as uh, some people do who want to escape detection. I don't think there's any strong objection to ASIO having technology to enable it to track the movements of people if there's sufficient reason to do so, that is, the person represents a threat. The issue is more, Tom, around the fact that no warrant is required. In other words, you simply have to go to a superior officer at ASIO to get permission. Um, and you don't have that check and balance on ASIO operations as a result. 
it's actually an interesting uh, it's actually an interesting issue in its own right and you talk about facebook google and twitter um we recently had the debate about the COVID app, which is when we last spoke about the, mm. the fear that some people have of the data being stored on a on a foreign server, on an Amazon server that may be accessible. Um, depending on what the data says, it could lead to people who are politicians or journalists um, uh, unintentionally compromising a source or a whistleblower or whatever have you. A point I made then, and we might have discussed it a bit in depth then, was, well, people provide information to Google, Twitter, Facebook, and other organisations um, to have uh, to have access to those platforms. How dangerous does that become now if a government has the ability to um, request access to the records of certain individuals or a class of individuals? Well, I think the point is that this is part of a, what I regard as quite a sinister uh, ploy on the part of the government, which is to seek to close down journalism in one sense. That is the reliance by journalists, as is always the case and should be the case in a democratic society, on whistleblowers and on individuals who wish to communicate with journalists about uh, what they perceive, for example, to be wrongdoing or excesses, excessive use of power by government agencies. Now, we've seen this issue examined recently to some extent in the High Court with the Amicus Methurst case and the raids on the ABC and News Limited. And the government, uh, of course, having been advised, no doubt, by ASIO and the Department of Home Affairs and others and the AFP that sometimes whistleblowers get in touch with journalists by direct messaging on Twitter or by Facebook um, or in other forms of social media because they don't have any other way to access those journalists. They don't have their phone numbers or emails, etc. But they want to be able to get access to that material so that they can hunt down these whistleblowers and also find out who journalist sources might be. Now, you know, in a democratic society, you want whistleblowers, you want journalists, as you would know, Tom, to break stories and particularly stories about abuses of power by government. It's fundamentally important. And we saw that, of course, way back in 1973, 74 with Watergate, and it's been the case ever since. So this is, I think, very disturbing. Um, there's no justification for this grab for power, this particular grab for power. There's no suggestion, for example, that Facebook and Google and Twitter and other social media outlets are being nefariously used by journalists or by Australians um, any more than any other uh, form of communication is being nefariously used. This is purely about uh, trying to close down scrutiny of government and um, it should be and no doubt will be vigorously opposed by the media. Um, what are the, what's the overall position of the uh, Australian Lawyers Alliance? Uh, well, the, the, the Alliance views are um, 
essentially views that I've been reflecting at a personal level, Tom. Um, the Alliance, last week we put out a release relating to ASIO laws, and in fact, I did an interview today with, with Sky News on the issue. And we're also very concerned about uh, the overreaches of power by, that are proposed by uh, Minister Dutton. And um, we're concerned about any government which seeks to uh, undermine fundamental rights of individuals, such as the right to privacy. Now, the, the critical question in this discussion always is, uh, have you ever known a government to repeal a law permitting greater surveillance um, once perceived threats of terrorism and, and other, other um, yeah, unlawful, potential unlawful behaviour or offending diminish? You know, that's a great question, Tom, and I think you and I both know the answer to it, which is no. I mean, there are powers before 9-11. There were a number of powers in the Commonwealth Crimes Act, um, which emanated essentially from the Cold War. Um, Cold War was well and truly over by 1989, but we didn't see a dismantling of those powers. ASIO itself, of course, grew out of the Cold War. Uh, so what happens is that you get an accumulation of these powers, and it's rare that these powers are then wound back in any substantive way. Um, and certainly since 9-11, one would have thought, it's, I think, 20 years, uh, 20 years next year since 9-11, that would be an opportune time for an Australian government to, in the Australian Parliament to review where we're at with these types of laws and seek to amend and seek to reduce um, the number of laws. But you won't see that. All you'll see is a continual accumulation on the statute book of these sorts of powers. How healthy is that in a democracy? Well, it's not healthy because, you know, everybody understands the right of and, and the importance of government protecting the community. And everybody understands that in every society, one has the need for secrecy in relation to certain operations. And that's why we allow police to do it on occasion and we allow ASIO and other organisations to do it. But it's a question of balance and the balance has shifted too far in favour of secrecy, in favour of diminishing people's fundamental rights, like the right to freedom of speech, the right to privacy. We don't have strong human rights protections in Australia at the national level. And so the balance has shifted far too far in favour of what you might um, loosely term a security state. Are there any other issues, Greg, that emerge from this particular situation that people should be cognizant of? Well, I think, Tom, um, people um, uh, ought to be very cognizant of the fact that we have a, tend to have a mindset in Australia which says that if we're confronted with some form of crisis, um, we automatically legislate and we legislate to restrict powers. We've seen it with COVID-19 and we've just got to make sure that, for example, in relation to COVID-19, that some of these draconian laws, which were brought in for um, good reason during the, particularly during the peak of that particular crisis in last month and, and in, in March, uh, don't find their way onto the statute books on a permanent basis. Uh, 
similarly in relation to the war on terror, it's never ending. And you've just got to ask yourself at what point do we, what point uh, are we going to be satisfied that um, we have more than enough powers? And in fact, it's time to codify some of those powers and to reduce, not, not sorry, not codify, wrong word, consolidate some of those powers. And in fact, jettison other powers that are no longer needed. Okay, Greg, that's a good good uh, point at which to end today's chat. It's been great catching up with you again. Thanks, Tom. Anytime. And thank you so much. And to the listeners, stay safe, look after each other, and I'll be back with another podcast reasonably soon.